This is Larry Fessenden from Glass Eye Picks, and you're listening to Without Your Head. here at the station of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil and treacherous trista exactly and now my mouse is broken but we are joined by the fine people here of slime city and slime city massacre for the 10th reunion of slime city massacre we have the director greg lamberson you wave so low <laughs> we have uh the stars of the original uh slime city here we have mary bogle and Craig Saban. Hi. Hello. And, of course, we have Scream Queen, Brooke Lewis-Bellas. And the iconic Debbie Rashawn. Wow. Hello, 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 hello. Hello. It's good to have everybody here. Me? Hope everyone's having a good time watching. And, uh, <laughs> first of all, Greg, what's your obsession with slime? <laughs> I don't have one. Oh, okay. <laughs> You've gotten over. I wrote that script back in 1984. I've got, I've gotten over uh, my obsession with slime. Although, if you remember, there's a scene in the beginning where Robert Craig and Tom Merrick are moving Robert into the building, and they're carrying this mattress up the stairs. And Tom does that routine where he's rubbing the mattress over his crotch when Mary walks out in her wig. That was actually the mattress I grew up in. On, and there's a big petrified purple stain on it from 
the second edition of the slime that came oh, out. I once I spilled what it. What was going on when so you were a kid? There, there was right a connection there. to my youth there. You're just covering for TJ. <laughs> you know, Tom left that purple spot there. That's what he does. This is what you guys did in between setups. <laughs> None of my business. Yeah. <laughs> we'll cover that on the next commentary track. Mm. Okay, here's my question real quick. What yeah. happened to that guy? Do you know? Oh, Tom? What happened to the mattress? Yeah. yeah. Well, he was one of the mercenaries in Slime City Massacre. In that fact, Tom? he was a Wait. mercenary who was killed I know by Agent Orange, yeah. your character. Right. <laughs> I know I remember him. I, he, wrote yeah, he, this, he wrote music. I brought him back, and then Dick Beale, who played the cat cop, I brought back to Slime City. So I, I got both of those. Wow. Because I knew he was a vampire in your other movie. But for some reason, I didn't know he was like the guy who wrote one sentence of poetry a year. No, that's I Dennis forgot. Embry. That's Dennis Embry. Oh, okay. Um, okay, okay. Dennis disappeared. He was an interesting guy, right, Robert? Yeah. Dennis Embry, who played Roman. Yeah, uh, and yeah. he yeah. down for the part. I've always suspected that uh, AIDS caught him during the epidemic because I have looked for him and he just vanished. Oh, wow, wow! Okay. He was uh, one of the you know one of the East Village uh, actors that you know authentic to that area. Mary was what Upper East Side, Upper West Side back then. Yes, Upper East Side at that time. Yeah, and I was Upper East Side for a long time. And I was wherever cheap rents were. Actually, we were in Brooklyn at that time. Yeah, we were. Yeah, you and I were both Bay Ridge then. Yeah. The film was shot in our apartment, which really was barely Robert's apartment since he was kind of shoved out by wardrobe. <laughs> what are you going to do? Did you, did you get involved it. so you could use the mattress? Is that how you're going to get involved in the film? No, that, that whole situation was really weird because I was in a... Um, and I, you know, here's the thing, and this has uh, very little to do with the movie. It has more to do with Greg as a, as a human being. Um, but like, I was in this like horrible, toxic relationship and Greg, like when it, when it like foundered, uh, Greg took, you know, took me in, in the, uh, in the, in the apartment. And then we wound up moving to Bay Ridge and that's where, that's where everything happened. And, uh, um, so I'll, you know, it was it was a great like landing pad for me. I don't know if I would have made it out of that era of my life if not for uh, you know having having Greg's place to crash at and so him sort of taking me in for a while. So uh, yeah, when at, at, but after Slime City, it was time to go. <laughs> Definitely like <laughs> during Slime City, it was time to go. <laughs> <laughs> how about Mary? How did how did you uh, get involved? Uh, casting, right? Yeah, he, Greg put an ad, I think, in Backstage, right? At that yep. time. And uh, I don't know, does Backstage still exist anymore? It but does. at any, It does, yeah. Yep. Okay, so he put an ad, and um, I don't know. I, I don't remember auditioning. I just remember the shoot. You auditioned. We tried to make Johnny Gruesome before we made Slime City. Uh, oh, which, and we yeah, didn't make yeah. Johnny Gruesome for 30 years. So... Uh, <laughs> You sent me a headshot for Johnny Gruesome. Robert, you remember we lived in the studio then, you, me, and Nelson. And we would get like 500 headshots a day. It was insane how many envelopes we were tearing open and yeah. 
Robert would critique the headshots. And <laughs> I've never forgotten, like, when an actress sends a postcard with her doing the goofy face and the serious face and, and some other yes. Well, they obviously the don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and I was taking wait, all these wait, notes from him. Wait, wait, I didn't wait, wait, wait. Greg, Greg, get it right. The composite. Yes. Yes. Right? yes. That's what they called it. The three <laughs> personas. Mary did come to the Brooklyn apartment and audition for the part in Johnny Gruesome. And then when that didn't ma happen, and I remembered, I remembered that headshot for Slime City. So, I mean, she wasn't competing with anyone for that role. She was competing with a number of people, though, to play the heavy metal vixen next door and they all fell through and she actually didn't audition for that one mm -hmm. remember mary yeah. the, the day that we I said we were already we were shooting the movie so that I was just out of necessity that she plays she uh, play the parts. dual roles so it was like oh out of necessity that she played the yeah. two roles it wasn't written that way no it was so fun though that was that part was way more fun than laurie <laughs> Thank God that you played both the parts. And you know what? I swear to God, you can, if you told somebody that there were different people, they would believe it. Oh, That's yeah. It took me a while. I'm right? so surprised by that because to me, it just seems so obvious. But um, <laughs> people have said that over the years. I, uh, it's great. <laughs> Watching yeah. the film over and over all these years, I, I see all the different things people do with their faces you know it's, it's just ingrained in my memory and i see them in both characters but i never saw Lori slink out of an apartment like i was that. just thinking about her i remember telling you i wanted you to do that and you were like what <laughs> okay that's a classic moment uh. <laughs> So you filmed that at your place, so I assume the cleanup wasn't a big issue then, since it's your yeah, own. Yeah, it was rough, especially on Robert. Robert's cleanup was rough. <laughs> yeah, we were find, I, um, finding bits of Robert in the shower for months afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there was, there was the deal was we, uh, uh, we had Scott Coulter uh, doing um, the effects. Uh, you, you know, he did all these applications and the whole mask and everything. And um, as the shoot kept going, he got more and more uh, quick with taking off the applications. He was very careful to put them on, but and initially he was very careful to take them off. He get the Q-tip in there and you know work the adhesive a little bit and start to take it off. But as the shoot continued, we were all getting increasingly exhausted. He just started like <laughs> tearing more and more. And on the last day of shooting, when I wore the application. He didn't even bother taking it off. He was like, do it yourself. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I can't. <laughs> well, what were what some of the interactions like, Mary, like the slime kiss, you know, when he's covered in slime? I, you know, I just looking at that the other night thinking, oh, my God, that's so gross. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I don't know. We were just we were all pretty serious at that time. You know, everybody just, uh, you know, wanted to get the job done and get it done right. So I, I, I you know, I, I don't actually remember. It's like looking at it now. It's like, how did we do that? But I, I don't really remember at the time having a problem with it. I don't know. I guess I like slimy men. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to know. We were very tired, for one thing. 
I remember we yes. you would scamper off and find some unavailable room and take a nap until we needed you. And literally for one take, I woke you up and put the meat cleaver right in your hand. Yeah. I said, okay, get to it. Yeah. Do you well, remember we when Robert lifts you up off the floor and puts you on the table, the yeah. easel table? Do you remember that whole thing collapsing? Yes. And then we had to take a break while Scott and Tom got the tools out and fixed it. That was hilarious, and I every time I look at the movie, I look at that scene. Oh yeah, there it is. Uh, yeah, I look at the is... scene where I throw you up onto the uh, uh, drafting table, and I know Greg cuts it just at the moment just before it collapses. <laughs> <laughs> the outtake was pretty funny. I wish we had known to save outtakes on film back then because it goes down and Mary's legs go flying up out of frame, and it was it was awesome. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Nobody it? got hurt in the making of that film. What? No, that's not on that one. Yeah. So that wasn't your real sausages that came out of your belly. Uh, actually, it was. I'm a method actor. Oh. <laughs> I don't mess around. <laughs> very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, why did you go with yellow for the slime? Because uh, I think it stands out more because I think people think green when you think slime. But Slime City, it's a yellow mustardy kind of color. I wrote green in the script and Scott decided he wanted to go with opaque and somehow that became yellow. So that was definitely not my original intention. And that's why in Slime City Massacre, Elon Patrick Burke embodied in this bottle, his slime color is green. Uh And he plays the same Zachary, you know, he's possessed by the same character that Robert was. So I got to have it my way in the end. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> when did the decision to do a Couple sequel come about no oh, sorry all right so for the 20th anniversary of slime city robert craig i never call him craig and mary and i yeah, were invited out confused, to the beloit international film festival for a uh, reunion screening of slime city the reason being that rob tomorrow who did the score was heavily involved with that festival and they paid for us all to come out there and for some reason we the three of us wound up in a hotel separate from all the other filmmakers across the state line so we were sort of on our own when we weren't exploring the town and one day we were hanging out in the pool and uh i was looking at mary's face and I was just thinking, wow, she looks so much more interesting than she did in her early 20s. There's character there. There's personality. I was thinking, it would be so cool to do a sequel and uh, have her play sort of the Omega Man of, of the Slime City universe, the person who's running around hunting these characters. And I had done a music video to promote the Rock CD based on the novelization of Johnny Gruesome, which was based on my script. And I cast... Jennifer Beale in that part and I remember thinking wow she looks a lot like Mary if I ever did a Slime City sequel she could play Mary's daughter or the next generation Um, so I I told both Mary and Robert while we were hanging out in the pool yeah I think we're going to do this sequel and they both thought I was crazy but as soon as I got home that's what I wrote and we did it you know that summer so it wasn't something you thought about like uh, right after Slime City or no I never had a desire to do a sequel. I remember yeah. uh, the, the Alex Beck, who was at the time a very famous uh, overseas distributor, he picked up Slime City and gave us the finishing money. And he wanted us to do a sequel right away. And I said, well, I don't really want to do one. I want to do this movie, Johnny Gruesome, but for what kind of budget? 
He said, well, about the same thing. And I said, no, <laughs> I don't want to do a movie for that budget again. You know, it, it was, it was so hard on us and we worked for free. And um, so now it was never a burning desire, but once, once we decided to do it, you know, over the years, there were all these reviews that would say, well, the plot doesn't make a lick of sense. So one of the things I was thinking was we could do these flashbacks and I could make the backstory make sense for people who weren't quick enough to get it in the narration. And if you remember, this is Zachary Devin's book. You can still get it in some occult bookstores. When Robert's character turns it over, Zachary, who is sort of a uh, Lon Chaney figure here, is played <laughs> by Robert. So, in fact, 20 years earlier, I set up the fact that Robert would play Zachary in flashbacks uh, in a Godfather 2 type of scenario. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Which it's Everything works out for, for a reason. Yeah. I did not look that skinny when we shot Slime City Massacre. I'll just say... As you said, you're a method actor. Exactly, exactly. And the sausages had yet to be removed. <laughs> we cut out the scene of you doing the stand-up routine in the mirror in your dressing room. <laughs> so what, what did you what did uh, mary and craig think you know of the idea of doing a sequel i think i really think they thought i was just talking out of my ass but the, no. the thing is once i write something then i really want to make it and when i wrote the, the script i was really happy with it so well i my memory of that is that you had a fairly detailed idea of what the movie would be um there in the pool but you also had uh, an idea for Slime City 3 where I play like some Rudy Giuliani type and Mary plays some Hillary Clinton type. Mary's and Hillary and you are uh, Cheney. Cheney, oh, even they get it. They get it on on the Oval Office desk <laughs> and they're locked in because people know they're going to get possessed by slime and because they have no other way to kill and turn back human, they launch the bombs. So that's what causes the, the worldwide. And that's just a subplot of the movie. Destruction, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think that that was ever going to get made. But uh, well, Flame City Massacre sounded like it was already halfway there by the time he was pitching it to us. As I said, if I write something completely, uh, then I want to make it. And I only wrote about 60 pages of Slime City Apocalypse. So I'm, I'm intentionally trying not to finish it. Because if I do, here we go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure you have like, more material now. A lot of things have there. happened since Dick Cheney. Yes. So, well, uh, Slime City Apocalypse is a sequel to Slime City Massacre. It's in the same timeline, but it opens and closes with space aliens visiting the Earth, and then you have another what? flashback thing, which is young Zachary and how he discovers the elixir, elixir and stuff. But there's all sorts of stuff of uh, scientists experimenting on the slime heads in an underground laboratory. So they, they inject the soldiers with the serum. So all these soldiers get possessed. And at lunchtime, the Zacharys are all sitting together. The wives are all sitting together. All the characters are bunched up together. And there's all these crazy, crazy uh, gore scenes, but I haven't found the heart of the story. The heart of the story. Uh, in that one, the brains are the good guys. That's a good twist. <laughs> Do you still have the brains? Uh, no, uh, the original brain Mary chopped up. We weren't thinking towards collectors. Uh, it also, the slime also made it dissolve. 
So I mean, when we shot that, we had to stop, send Mary to bed, put the brain in the freezer, and I went to bed. And Tom Lawton, who handled the brain, uh, he woke us up when it was read, ready to be chopped up. Brain Wrangler. Yes, yeah. For Slime City Massacre, all but one of the brains were just green screen tape wound up into a, a ball. And then RJ7 created the the CG versions. There was one handheld puppet, the one that I grabbed Mary with, the one that kills mm. Mary. But otherwise, uh, those brains uh, did not survive either. I don't know if he's – hopefully he's related to the show, to the movie, or else I don't know, I understand this question. But Carmine uh, Capobianco wants to know where's Capo his head. Capobianco. Yes. Capobianco. 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 Carmine. He wants to know hey, where his Carmine. head is. Yeah. Carmine is one of the actors in Debbie's movie Model Hunger, and he directed a couple of crazy low-budget movies himself. Galactic and his head is buried gigolo? in my backyard. Galactic Gigolo? <laughs> Now that's a name. You guys have that's seen that, I hope. Who has it? I mean, Psychos in Love, he says, is his best movie, but I think Galactic Gigolo is his best movie. Did Carmine have a question? Sure. Uh, <laughs> he wonder where his head is. He says he loves ah. you. But anyway, you guys send us any questions, and we'll ask him here on the show. Yeah, we, uh, we buried Carmine's head in my backyard for Model Hunger, which Debbie uh, Mary is also in, Debbie's movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, we used that hat. We kept the head and used it in a few other films in Buffalo. And it was sort of a running joke. Yeah. And then I think for Killer Rack, we auctioned it off as part of the, the Indiegogo campaign. So I, I forgot who has Carmine's head now. Somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, Carmine. Uh, Debbie, Sorry, you, were, you, you were familiar with Slime City uh, going into Slime City Massacre. You had already seen Slime City and were a fan. Yes. Yes, I had. Very much. I mean, that's why I was so excited. And she uh, froze! <laughs> she's so excited now, she just froze up. And Greg was a genius, and I was dying to work with him. You know what happened? Tom put her in the fridge. <laughs> And that Greg Lamberson is oh, so talented. <laughs> He's a genius, and I was dying to work with him. Hopefully, we get a we get a we get her back. She'll be here. back. Yeah. Is it true that you wrote the character for her? Uh, that's that's on IMDb. You can't always go by that. That I don't remember. I know that what happened was I I wrote a book, a filmmaking book called Cheap Scares: Low Budget Horror Filmmakers Share Their Secrets. And 50% of it was like my experiences and 50% of it was interviews with other filmmakers and distributors and people along the way. Uh, Robert discussed screenwriting at that point. And because of that, I, I watched a lot of movies that I normally wouldn't watch. Uh, the whole scream queen genre of the nineties was nothing I had any interest in, but I watched a movie called skin crawl with, which my friend Justin Wingenfield Feld directed and Debbie was the star of that and I just happened to see the premiere at a convention in Pittsburgh and I knew watching it right away oh she's not one of those scream queen people she's an actress who's actually studied lessons and uh, I did something I never do which is I went up and introduced myself afterwards and just said how great I thought she was in the film so once we had money to make Slime City Massacre she was the only person that I was thinking about for that part. And, uh, Brooke, how did you get involved? And did you know of Slime City? So crazy. So at that point in time, it was beginning of 2008. 
I had been a working actress from off-Broadway shows in New York to sitcoms on Fox TV. And I was not, I'm honest, I was not familiar with Slime City at that point in time. However, I was a huge horror fan at the time. I, I just broke out in horror. I was a fan. I was a fan of like the old school. I was a fan of the Lloyd Kaufman, you know, trauma films. I was a Debbie Rashawn huge fan and a Tiffany Shepard fan. So the trauma world when I was younger. And at that point in time, I had just gotten into the more acting into the thriller stuff, the mystery thrillers. And I had Kiki Killers that I acted in with Charles Durning and Michael Perret on Showtime. And then that was that got released beginning of 2008. And then I was also shooting at the time I Murders with Billy Dee Williams and Tony Todd and William Forsyth and Gabrielle Anwar and Frank Grillo. That being said, I was like becoming immersed in this sort of horror thriller mystery world. Unbeknownst to me, Slime City existed. And our friend, shout out Greg, we were just chatting about horror yearbook Will. <laughs> Believe it or not, I can't believe I remember all this. He reached out to both Greg and I at the same time. And he said to me, are you familiar with Slime City and Greg Lamberson? I said, I've heard of it. And I definitely heard of Greg Lamberson and his more of his authoring. But let me send me a link. Show me the, so I, I think I actually went and bought the DVD right away. And um, yeah, the DVD. I'm like, DVD. Yeah, the DVD right away. And I'm like, this is amazing. Who is this genius? You know, and I praise Greg all the time. And I mean it from the heart. I'm like, this is so freaking smart. Because I was, I'm always, I'm a, such a huge horror fan since childhood, but I love the films that have the brilliant subtext, not just the gratuity for no reason at all, you know? So I'm like, oh, this guy's really smart. I want to work with him. And at the same time, Will was like spinning the wheels and like reaching out to Greg going, you should really look at Brooke Lewis. At the time I was Brooke Lewis. You should look at Brooke Lewis. She's becoming like a new little screen queen because I had these films on Showtime and blah, blah, So that being said, I also was, I'll make it quick, producing a lot. And that was something I think that was very attractive to all filmmakers at the time. And Greg said, set up a meeting, Will. So we bonded right away, I think just on intellectual, you know, cinema alone. And he came to me and said, you know, can you raise a little bit of money and, and come on as a co-producer in some way? And and we also, I had a very close connection. I had just done a film with Lee Perkins. In fact, I saw Irwin Keys on your intro. And so Dahmer versus Gacy. And so that was our big conversation. Like, can we raise some money? Can we get Lee Perkins on board? And here we are. And actually, I remember Greg saying to me, like, read the script. If you're going to come on as a co-producer, like, you have a couple options. What would you be inspired to play? And I, I went right for Nicole even though she was a supporting role, it just spoke to me. And I love the original so much. And when Greg, I'll, I'll let Greg take the floor, but when he had shared sort of the connections to the original Slime City, I was so excited and inspired. And it was like my role to play. Lee Perkins is also here in spirit tonight. Like, <laughs> it would have been crazy if we had too many voices, but I did want the guys to make a cameo. I'm big on the cameos. I, I, I love it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I actually wouldn't have remembered that Will was the, the link there. I actually thought it was Lee, so that, that's interesting to remember. Robert Mary, I don't know if you remember Will, but uh, he, he did run, run a horror run a horror website and he stayed with me during slime city. So Robert, we all spent a cup together. He stayed in my house and he limped a little bit and his job really, he had the same role on uh, 
Debbie's film, Model Hunger, which is he basically hangs out and smokes cigarettes away from cast and crew, and everybody basically drifts to him and reveals their most innermost <laughs> secrets to him, so he gets all the dirt and then comes home and shares it with me. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he's got some health issues, so he hasn't been on any of my films in a while, but uh, I miss him. He, he used to come out sometimes and, and just hang out for a week for the film festival. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Karma did ask, I have a question for you, uh, Greg. He wants to know, where's your hair? On his head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you showed the bottles with the slime there. Uh, what, what, what did people actually drink and eat when they're, when they're eating the slime or drinking the slime in the movie? <laughs> well, the, the slime was just water with food coloring, and the slime was yogurt with food coloring. And it sounds so simple. And yet on Slime City Massacre, um, my good friend John Renna, who plays the mayor of Slime City, he was the production manager, and uh, the, the yogurt apparently went bad. And Keelan and Jennifer did have to scoop up some yogurt that we didn't find out until too late was, was uh, spoiled. <laughs> Method acting. <laughs> And uh, John Red is a cool guy. I know him from from Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival, and uh, he's great as the mayor. Yes. Uh, yeah, I have to say, you know, Buffalo Dreams happens next week, and we're mm -hmm. actually having live screenings. We're not doing the virtual, and it will be very strange that you and Jason will not be there. It's strange. You guys have come out there. for the whole festival two years in a row. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's it's lacking without you. Well, I appreciate that. It's, I, I, it's weird not being there. I, you know, it's, uh, well, what's cool about uh, festivals like Buffalo is you get to know everybody and it's a community and you get to see everybody, you know, every year. And it's cool to see people, uh, you know, they made, made a short one year, maybe they had a feature the next year. And then you also, you know, you get uh, new people who never been there before. But uh, for me, the big part is the community and seeing the, you know, the, the same people again. Well, now you're an honorary part of that community. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, when we did the flashbacks for Slime City Massacre, so it was Robert, Brooke, Sephra Geron, who's an author, and she, she played the uh, gypsy from Slime City in Killer Rack. That's the same character. And uh, Michael O'Hear, who I don't want to talk about. Oh, Debbie's back, so this is perfect timing. And Michael O'Hear played Roman, and, and Michael was the uh, assistant director on the film. So th this would be a good chance for us uh, to talk about Michael, who passed away in June after being in the hospital for three months. And he was a huge part of the uh, Buffalo film community. Do you remember him at all, Neil, from your trips to the festival? I, uh, briefly, I, I met him, but I don't have like any stories. I, don't, I didn't have much interaction right. with him. He, he did different things on the festival from year to year, uh, depending on what his health situation was. Sometimes he was a judge, sometimes he was a photographer, but he was in on it from 10 years. And uh, Slime City Massacre was the first film he worked on with me. And then he uh, hired me to write Dry Bones, which Debbie ended up starring with opposite him. He, he was supposed to direct it, but he was already so sick back then. I, six years ago, I think, Debbie? That, uh, yeah. that he couldn't yeah. handle directing as well as acting. And I, I did not want to direct that film. And it was kind of thrust onto me because we had to finish the movie. But then he, he's been in every other film feature that I've done in Buffalo. And Debbie, when we were uh, putting Model Hunger together, she said right off the bat, I want Michael in there. I want John in there. I want Mary to come out, which I loved the fact that yes. you thought of her. I, I It never occurred to me 
that you would have thought about marrying since she's in New York City and we were in Buffalo. Right. I don't I don't know why, but I consider them in my mind close. Otherwise, Robert Brooke, I mean, there would have been a lot, you know, bigger draw of people, but I don't know. I guess it's the same state, Mary. Uh, but, well, I mean, yeah, I understood I mean, why you were concentrating on local actors. I was just surprised. It was a pleasant surprise to me when you said, oh, and I want Mary to play this part. Oh, but I mean, how great is Mary as Debbie's mother, though? I mean, amazing, 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 really. And like, whoever would see her doing something like that, yelling, being mean. That's not, that's not married. Right? <laughs> I don't know. My family might beg to differ. But, you know, watching that the other night, it's like, what the heck is going on in Jay's head with women? Because the women in there are so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Model hunger we're talking about. That's Model hunger, yeah. 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 <laughs> There's yeah. some dark stuff there. <laughs> Very, very dark. Very, very dark. Yeah, no, I, but going back to Michael just for a second in, in Model Hunger, it's um, amazing to me that he was, he was so committed to matter what he was doing, uh, no matter what part he was doing. Be, I would ask him stuff that's not in the script, say he's in the playground drinking from a flask he's a police officer really but let's put him in there watching the little kids that's not you know what i mean a lot of actors would say oh hell no oh hell no you're not gonna get me to do that even though it's just implied right it's not nothing's done or said or but it was so important that everybody had such a dark side to me you know because i thought it was more interesting really right but he didn't even question it. He was like, yeah, okay. Well, it did mean an, ex it did mean an extra scene for him, Debbie. Yeah. <laughs> he did get more screen time sitting in that playground. <laughs> okay, oh, all right. But, but thank God, because it was, it was great. And that's exactly who you want to work with. Isn't that right, Greg? I mean, you yes. just want to the, work with The actors who will do like, anything. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, say it. Yes, let's do it. Uh, now that we're all back, I just want to quickly say uh, how much I've been looking forward to tonight, uh, how much I treasure each one of you, how long we've been friends, how what good friends we've been, uh, and it's really nice to see you in the middle of this, this situation. Don't make me cry because you know you will. <laughs> I'm such a sap. Can I just, can I just interject and say um, that – this is this is for me Slime City Massacre, and it was truly like my first real venture, adventure, adventure into the like micro budget, you know, horror action sci fi world back then. And I, I didn't know what I was stepping into. And you know, I say this a lot, and you know how honest I am. Like, people went, Oh, title Slime City Massacre, you know, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, You're right, Debbie's laughing. We both know this now, and like. I was like, no, you don't understand. This, this script is amazing. The subtext of it is amazing. It touches on so many things. And like that ZZ review that we had this week was extraordinary. But that being said, this was my first experience. And one of the greatest experiences of my career, I'm going to cry. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to come play and to, to 
this really, I was starting to get the, the bestowed and again to icon like Debbie Rashan and to Mary and all those who came before me in this horror world, you know, the title Scream Queen, but Slime City Massacre solidified it for me with the real true blue horror cult classic fans. So it's something I talk about to this day, no matter what I do in Hollywood or whatever TV shows I'm on, it's one of the best experiences I've ever had. And I just can't thank you enough, Greg, and the whole cast and crew. What, what was interesting about the shoot for Slime City Massacre is it was very segmented so that we could work with actors' schedules. We can only bring people out, so you use the people for that amount of time, and they move on. So we started with the flashbacks with Brooke, Robert, Michael, and Sephra, and we shot all those in two days. And we shot those in a building in Niagara Falls, which uh, the owner had bought for a song, and there were four levels of junk everywhere. Like, we had to find a room just with space to shoot that stuff. And you remember the condition of that scene where we shot the orgy? <laughs> oh, and of course, uh, Sandra was in that as well. Sandra was in there as, as your daughter, uh, Robert's daughter, who was so funny because she was a last-minute casting choice, and uh, she had a, a Hispanic accent. She's from uh, Venezuela or Colombia or not Mexico, but another country from down there. So we cast her at the last minute, and then you had a, a daughter with a Spanish accent. So in the, uh, in the other prequel, in addition to discovering the slime, uh, Zachary and uh, Ruby have to kidnap a, a, a toddler from some uh, Spanish missionaries in the Himalayan mountains. A toddler with who's deaf, because apparently she can't get rid of her original accent. Um, no, it, what would be hilarious is if we actually have the baby, but we taught it to talk like this. No, I want to, you know, like in, a, like in an accent. An SCTV skit. Robert's a big SCTV fan. So we shot, we shot all of them in two days in those locations, and then they were out of there. And then we brought in the core group, which would be Debbie Lee, Jennifer, and who am I missing? Jennifer Keelan. Keelan. Four of them. And we shot the bulk of their stuff. And then some of them were leaving when Mary came in. So you miss you miss Robert. You Everybody both in the same was film. gone when I got there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you left and Lloyd came in. <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman came in. And uh, I was it, the, last, in that house. the last three or four days of the shoot were just weird because we had all these different actors suddenly and they all had their own, you know, over the top personalities. Not you, Mary. Uh, <laughs> it was such a fun day. What You did overlap with Debbie, though, on the day when you killed them, didn't you? You didn't? Yeah. Didn't yeah. you deliver dialogue opposite them for when you killed them? At no. The end? Yes. No. I, twice. I, really? Okay. I think, yeah, you had one day and then Debbie was out of there. But uh, that was so much fun, shooting you stomp on those brains. Remember the balloons? <laughs> yeah, yes, slime? yes. I de he, yeah, I, I definitely remember that. <laughs> but I just remember having to stay alone in the house. And yes, I didn't like you were that alone in the actor house. <laughs> but it's better, it's better than sleeping on my couch, like Robert had to, and then have me pick you up an hour late and find out about it in a blog that Robert wrote. <laughs> Is that what happened? I don't even don't remember. Goddamn Robert, internet. Robert, <laughs> tell us about the blog. Come on. Get the <laughs> journal. All the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> no, if you want all the dirt, you got to read the journal. 
Sorry, Aaron. Well, great. Greg asked Craig, Robert, um, Craig, we'll call him, uh, if you remember the, the condition of the building during the orgy scene. So what was what was the place like? It was it was just a it was a very dank warehouse kind of a, you know, it was like those places where you see like serial killers hang out and they're <laughs> and they're, uh, you know, nestled in one corner and everything else is just empty with all these pillars like my house only filthy. Absolutely filthy. Uh, poor Brooke. You know, <laughs> it, was, I, it was just, it was just rancid. Um, and periodically and, um, throughout the day, sewage would get pumped into one of the other chambers. There were all these rooms. Oh. And sometimes we had to walk through that where we, where you guys, the guys found the bottles was in that basement. And I remember walking through two inches of water the day we shot it. Uh. Yeah, they're lying on the floor, like especially the CGI scene with where, where Craig, Robert, Craig, Robert is on top of me, lying on the floor, and then Greg with the tongue. Yeah. Oh my! Yes. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was what? absolutely, absolutely filthy, and um, and but but the incredible thing is, uh, Buffalo was so supportive. They made sure. <laughs> They had cop cars all over the place. They were treating us like we were <laughs> a high level shoot. And and of course we were in this building that nobody would ever go into. <laughs> Niagara Falls, not Buffalo. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, how about like where uh, you know a lot of the movies shot? Like a big abandoned building. Like where is that? Where did you find it? That is a. Uh, that is the structures around the central terminal, which was this big grandiose train station that we used to have in Buffalo. And it, a lot of the natural was shot there and they just allowed it to fall apart. And uh, I couldn't get into the tower itself. I was supposed to direct a film for a producer in Buffalo in that building. When I was walking around, I was like, yeah, that slime city sequel. I could shoot that whole thing in this building. And I ended up not working with that producer which sort of led into doing, you know, coming up with this idea that I pitched to Robert and Mary. So I knew that I wanted to set it in that building and make it a post-apocalyptic sequel. I have some guest stars. Come here. Oh, and it's haunted, you guys. It is freaking haunted. <laughs> right, Deb? It absolutely haunted. is. It was haunted? <laughs> Hello. Come on, how you oh, doing? Hey. Hey, Kaylin. Good oh, to see you guys. God. Caitlin, I haven't seen you since you were like, how old was she during Slime City Massacre? She was like three. She was three when she made her debut, yeah. Yeah, three years oh. old. Look how you've grown. I can't, I can't oh. see. There she is. There she, yeah, there they both are. So, yeah, she had, a, she had her first cameo. Tamar had a cameo, and Tamar was also the production supervisor. I saw Shooting Tamar. Slime City Massacre, um, I kept cash in one pocket and receipts went in the other, and I would come home and dump them out and we would put them in a box. But then at the end of the shoot, we had to make sense of everything. And Tamar learned bookkeeping as a result of that. <laughs> Tamar, the hero. The You're great with those points. Both wearing their uh, custom Slime City uh, Massacre shirts. Awesome. Oh, nice. Um, There's Debbie. Hi. <laughs> Everything's froze for me, but I'm assuming. Oh, no. yeah, they're, they're wearing you. They're wearing you on their shirt. Hi. I will not see either of you this year. Unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> wish I could have seen it. Wish I could have seen it. Uh, <laughs> you can watch the replay on YouTube later. Yeah, all right. 
I'll watch it later. Yes, sure. I'll watch it later. Yeah, make, make sure to give it a thumbs up, too. <laughs> and that is a ruined train station where we shot most of those locations. And uh, the worst memory of the film is when Jennifer Beale uh, got hurt inside one of those rooms. And what happened was we were shooting the scene where he, she and Keelan jointly kill a couple of homeless guys. We're trying to do double the action of the murder of the homeless guy in uh, Slime City, except these guys were actually uh, preppy douchebags. And she was wearing the bandage and the makeup and the sunglasses, and she had to go to the bathroom. And she was happy, and she went skipping away into the building while we were out on the, the tracks. And there were, I don't know what to call them, but they were like, rectangular openings in the floor and under and through them you would see these ducts and things so they were access panels to the innards of the station and we heard the bang and i looked and she was nowhere to be seen with the sunglasses on she just didn't see it there and we didn't know enough to have traffic cones and safety cones and stuff out i mean that's what we would do these days and i ran over there and what happened is as she fell down she reached out and grabbed onto a rusty piece of metal that almost sliced her fingers off and when I looked down into the hole, she was sort of clinging to the side like Spider-Man. And I hopped down and, and pulled her out, and we lifted her hand up, and blood was gushing out. And she was like, I, I'm okay. I can still shoot. And, uh, you know, of course, the ambulance came and the fire truck, and, you know, she had to have surgery. They stitched up her finger. And uh, yeah. literally the worst thing that's ever happened on one of my sets. And Debbie had had a similar experience with a machete, sort of famous, where uh, her fingers were cut. So she told me exactly what was going to happen, how they were going to fix yeah. it. Jennifer showed up yeah. for shooting, I think the very next day with a bandage on her hand. So if you watch the film in some scenes, suddenly she has a bandage on one finger and some scenes, her hands totally bandaged. And we wrote a line of dialogue, oh. I think to try and cover it, but it, it still doesn't quite match how, how the thing comes and goes. But uh, some of us got slime city massacre tattoos Oh, really? Yes. He has one. Uh, Jennifer oh. didn't get one, but it turned out that the scar on her finger is an S. Oh. Where they had the scar. Is it? Wow. So that was all. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember after it happened, we tried to go back and finish shooting this scene. I was just like, no, we'll, we'll come back to this. Let's get out of here. And uh, Jennifer is married now. She has a cameo in Killer Rack. But she's married and has three beautiful daughters, and she's a total mom, and now she's a nurse. And she's constant, you know, her photos that she shares on Facebook are of these three girls and her constantly doing outdoor things, riding the horse and stuff. And uh, she did a great job. I was really happy with her. Uh, you mentioned Killer Rack. Uh, something I've always uh, noticed about Debbie is uh, she's really good, like kind of the over the top uh, comedic performances, like in Killer Rack. Kind of. Go. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then, uh, but I excellent, uh, you know, in Slime City Massacre when you're playing, you know, a dramatic. Of my genre. <laughs> well, I actually asked and I Debbie. I embraced it. I you did, it exactly. Slime, you gave it, you I gave it, it your all. Slime City Massacre that I asked you what you hadn't played that you wanted to play, and you said a mad scientist. So when I read Paul's script yeah. and Dr. Thulu was there, I was like, oh, it's the natural. It's got to be Debbie. Um, yeah. I've gotten to direct so Debbie I, a few times, and directing really means you know creating the frame and letting the actor do what they can do best and she brings uh, a real physical element to her performances and craig sheffer does the same thing you know i saw it on widow's point there's there's just 
there's what's on the page, there's what you have in your eye, and then there's this whole other yeah. physical thing that actors bring to parts. And uh, Killer Rack was certainly the case. Now, Brooke didn't have that opportunity on Killer Rack because she's the voice of the boobs. <laughs> not seen. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> and Debbie was brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. You know, I'm a forever fan, so yeah. really, I mean. How do you go about creating a voice for boobs? Yeah. yeah. Very sultry, right, Deb? Very sultry. Very, well, very. Right? I mean, and I'm sultry, like, but firm. Yes. Well, she was the, right? the, like, you know, sort of empress of the memory. I'm sure Greg could explain better, but Greg directed <laughs> me. I don't know if he could. Before yeah. I went into the voiceover studio here in LA, and he directed me. We did a lot of work together before from Buffalo to here. Well, Brooke, you have actually two stories that are thematically linked, which would be the story of the hotel for Lion City Massacre. Because remember, you weren't going to stay at Actor House. Nope. You had to get your sleep, so it was important <laughs> yeah. to have a hotel. And then that's something similar for the studio for Killer Rack. Oh, my gosh. I'll, tell it, I'll try to be quick, but you know my stories are long. But this is hysterical. So, And this is something that Greg and I share and we laugh about all the time. So that was the whole thing. Like I'm the, I'm such a diva, but a lovable diva, but like, I need my sleep. I need my glam, you know, like I just can't do what I need to do otherwise. So sleep's super important. And when you're coming from Hollywood to Buffalo, it's like a three flight, you know, layover yeah. and connecting and blah, blah, blah. So we orchestrated it like a month in advance. I was saying, Frank, was it the double tree? The double tree? Yes. Okay, so the double tree, and they were wonderful, okay? So we orchestrated this months in advance, coming out and staying for like four days at the double tree, and I'm flying out, and I'm flying out on these like 75 flights, so I'm not going to bed the night before, so I could leave at like one o'clock in the morning from my home here, blah, blah, blah. So I'm getting in at dinner time the next day, and we did it on purpose, so Greg, Will, and I actually went to a lovely dinner in Buffalo, Went back to the hotel. I was like, Greg, I need my sleep. I need my sleep. I'm not going to do a good job. So I was like racing back to the hotel, having Greg drive me back. So I go. It's like midnight. I get in. I'm finally refreshed. I go to sleep. I'm like, okay, this is good. I'm going to sleep from like midnight to 5 a.m. when I have to be up to be picked up for the shoot tomorrow. And at least I'll get a good five hours because I didn't go to bed the night before. And I was like a psycho about it. So I get into bed. Literally five minutes after laying my head on the pillow, I hear alarms going off. I'm like, what the hell? Come to find out, they usher us out with the fire alarm. There's a huge explosion in the kitchen in the hotel for room service. I'm sitting in my like nightshirt and no makeup and like I'm a mess on the like sidewalk. They keep us out there until 5 a.m. I'm calling Greg, panicking. I'm like, Greg, what do I do? I didn't want to like wake him up. And so I had zero sleep. I run up, shower. This is now two nights of no sleep. Greg picks me up at the hotel, takes me to sit, and here we are. We laugh about it to this day. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm the only one who goes to try to get sleep at a hotel, and there's an explosion there. I really think as, as I'm talking about it and thinking of Jennifer and thinking of Debbie and a bunch of mishaps, like maybe we were cursed. Maybe the, the ghosts in the Buffalo Terminal, like, cursed us, Greg. What do you think? I don't know. I think Greg pranked you. <laughs> Like, blew up the better. kitchen of the double tree just to show you <laughs> to the state of the after house. Tabby, do you remember your arrival in Buffalo for uh, oh. City Massacre? <laughs> yes, because when you arrive, 
you have to arrive properly, right, Brooke? I mean, it can't just be you go in, okay, I'm staying in the actor house and just lay down and go to sleep. Oh, no, 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 no. So I come in, I said to Greg, I said, okay, I don't fly well, so, you know, I take pills to fly. So I, I have to lay down right away. Like, as soon as I get there, get a good night's sleep, like you, Brooke. Good night's sleep. Tomorrow I'll be fresh. Only in my case, that's exactly what happened. I went there, but the other actor persons went out. They locked the door. I went to sleep, and it was for the night, believe me. And... They didn't have keys, and I don't know why to this day. Do you know why, Greg? And so they literally, you know, break in the door. I was out. You know, I was, like, sleeping. There, there, there was nothing getting me up, uh, nothing at all. Sleeping like I was right before I, we did this thing, so I'm a little bit tired. But um, so finally, I think it was John Ren Renna. He busted the window so that he could put his hand through and open the door and let the people in. So on the first, well, my, I guess my first night, people were already staying there, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we broke the door to get in. So I don't know if he got his damage deposit back or what, but um, yeah. I may be so mistaken. that was my first night. I may be mistaken. <laughs> But I believe that John threw him, John Renner threw himself on the sword and that Lee is actually the one who broke the glass to unlock the door. Because Lee also had some anxiety medication that he had to get in. And they kept calling you and John kept calling you. And I remember John saying, Greg, you want me to break the window? But I think Lee had already broken the window at that point. <laughs> oh, now, actor house, what? <laughs> actor house, you're always, you're always looking for a, an inexpensive place to put actors up. And at one point, I think, you know, we, we were, I was trying to get a, a higher budget. I had a friend who said, oh, I can raise 150000 no problem. Well, he couldn't. It's always a yeah. problem. We ended up making it for fifty, yeah, yeah. And we only oh, had 35000 when we went into it. Um, so we're looking at all sorts of ways. And I remember, I didn't even know Debbie. I'd only met her once. She was excited about doing the project. And I said... It's not going to be what I thought it was. I'd still love to have you involved. She was totally up for it, whatever the gorilla circumstances were. Um, what I ended up doing mm -hmm. was there's a row of college houses that were empty for the summer, and they were unfurnished. Mm -hmm. So we got one of these places for a month, which worked out well, and got a bunch of inflatable mattresses. And I mean, mm -hmm. Mary, by the time you showed up and everyone was gone, it must have had a lived-in feeling, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's one way to say it. Yeah. Smell, maybe. Uh, it was it was fine. It was just I was alone. I didn't want to be alone. There were critters. Oh, I, there, no, city. there was. She's you right. Wait, wait, wait. All I your life. In, Mary. I, I know the critters Mary. in New York City. Okay. There, okay. There was a lot of rats. There really was. Is that what you mean? That's yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. There was yeah. tons of rats on that that front lawn under the porch but the one thing i well, did not really on the like set that, just in the living quarters 
<laughs> exactly. Just, just in our living quarters. <laughs> Let's make this clear, okay? Just in the living quarters, there was rats. Clean, On the that. set, we were good. But <laughs> Mary didn't get to experience that. I don't think any of you guys got to experience the fact that, uh, I don't know if it was John Renna, but um, whoever set things up for us, the four of us, like the, the colored slime people of the actors. Right. Um, we got, um, and I still have mine, a flashlight, a coffee mug, like a water cup, all in the color of your character. I have all my orange. Even when I came home after that shoot, I was so excited I bought an orange lamp <laughs> to go with it all. Oh. So that was really cool. Back to that location, there was no electricity, and we yeah. had to get porta potties, and you had to walk forever some days to get to those port authorities. It was a big building, and uh, for lunch every day, we would go across the field to this rundown bar with all these old drunks, and they were so happy to have us, and they made such good food for us every day. <laughs> Was there any reason that Debbie's character was orange? Because it does stand out, orange slime. Um, once I decided I was going to have four characters get possessed, I wanted each one to have a unique color. Because in Slime City, when you see the cutaways of the jars of Himalayan yogurt, each character has their own color. Mm -hmm. One's blue, one's pink, one's yellow, one's orange. And I wanted to use, keep those colors. So they, they do reflect back to uh, the colors used in the original. Continuity there. Yeah. What's that scene like when it's just your face, you know, in the tub, and you're, and you're all slime around you? Please tell that story. Oh, wow. Go set it up, Greg. Like, describe what you had to do to the tub. All right. Oh, so look, fine, first that. of all, it had to be <laughs> one of those big tubs with the claw feet so that we could hide her whole body in there, whatever we covered her with. At one point, we talked about uh, something called dragon skin. Another, what we ended up doing was... Uh, hard foam piece with a circle cut out for the face that would be covered with slime. Mm -hmm. We would actually seal her in there. They do the makeup to blend her into it and then actually pour slime on top of that so that Lee could trace his fingers. Mm -hmm. into it. And uh, right. what they, they did a good job. I mean, I give the, the, the effects guys worked so hard on that film uh, for no money and had so many things they had to come up with, but uh, we didn't quite, they didn't quite plan on, putting something at an angle for her to lay back on in the tub. So it was really uncomfortable. And I remember them walking yeah. her out with her face sticking through this huge foam piece to put her in the tub. And she, she looked like a person wearing a, like a giant dandelion costume, you know, one of those kids plays. Yes, yes. <laughs> so she got in, was, they sealed her up and then some metal was digging into your back. I remember. Yes. The, and the makeup got messed up getting her in position. So we suddenly had this thing where we had to doctor the makeup. We had to get her scenes, which were really important scenes. Those, those scenes of her in the tub are my favorite in the film. And uh, the problem was that like every 20 minutes or so, the longest train on the planet would pull into this station and we'd be shut for like half an hour of it pulling in, rolling, slowing, stopping, making psh, psh noises before it pulled out again. So I just remember us furiously running to get as many takes as we could. And uh, mm -hmm. Debbie was a champ about it. But I do remember her saying at one point, just just do it. Just 
Let's just do it. Just get the fuck. <laughs> it was, it was job. not that different from the moment <laughs> Robert had on the original Slime City. All the trouble with the makeup, all that, he was great with it. But the day he had to walk around with those cold, wet guts and that stomach appliance right. was the day that yeah. finally got to him. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Was, it. it was I summer in it. New York and I was freezing. Well, we were freezing in summer in Buffalo. I, I told everybody, you know, it's going to be really That's hot. There's right. no air conditioning. And inside that building, it was super cold. I remember Jennifer and Keelan in their slime sex scenes, just teeth chattering. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about that your decapitation so scene? You know, how did you do that? Did you did you actually uh, cut a hole in your floor? Or? Yeah. Uh, what the effects guys designed – and the reason that you have that black and white checker and pattern, we had an actual kitchen in that apartment, but we wanted the apartment to look smaller. And that's why we put bookcases to hide our living room. So the dining room is really the living room in the film. And then that the actual living room is Roman's apartment. So those were part of the same apartment. But we, we created that floor and we got the appliances and stuff and we made a kitchenette like you would have a studio apartment. And then we had these kids from the building in the Bronx built an elevated floor, like two and a half feet off the floor. And Robert had to go under there and stick his head through. And then he had to get sealed in. And uh, we had a, you know, we had a, a door cut off in half that we put up so it matched. And um, the crawling brain, once Robert is out of there, Tom Lawton is underneath the floor. There's two rods under the brain and he's just doing this. That's how it crawls across the floor. And if you look, when Mary runs across the floor to kill the brain, that's the elevated floor. And it's covered with slime and it's slippery. Yeah. Uh, you didn't land on your ass, but you definitely did a, a foot yep. skate across that yep. linoleum. Die, God damn it. <laughs> uh, uh, my friend and uh, also uh, a lot of you know, uh, Babette Bombshell once uh, says, Debbie has so much experience on sets and so much fun. Uh, so much love of film that she was born to direct. And uh, he's bringing up uh, your directorial debut on Model Hunger. Oh, that's Babs? Yes. Oh, Babs is awesome. If anybody's seen the movie here, they will know how amazing Babs is. Uh, another actor. Okay, here's another actor that, again, Greg, tell me. If, if you say something to an actor and they not only agree to do it, but they run with it and they embrace it and they're like, they go crazy. I mean, this is like, these are actors for, you know, your biggest dreams that you would get to work with because I've worked with all kinds of actors. Some well, that's why I'm, I'm still friends with everybody here. Ass. <laughs> they did that. Really? Like, do, do you, anybody, anybody agree? <laughs> I mean, and it's not because they're actors. It's because they, there's so much hubbub and bullshit around just getting something done. And nobody's really so amazing at their craft, if they're that type of person, right? That, that they could even deserve to behave that way in the first place. And it's usually the ones that are like all demanding and all problematic and causing all the stress and drama that are actually the least good actors in a production. But one Quite of the great, often. Yeah. Quite one of the great often. Things, 
one of the great things about being on a low budget shoot is you're seeing how hard everyone else is working. Yes. Because everyone is busting their ass, you know, building the floors, creating the special effects. They're all doing it for no money. And you can't be a prima donna in that situation. You can't be like, oh, I'm sorry. There's a jagged shard of metal in my back. I'm not going on. You can't do that. You have to, you have to, you have to power through. You have to be one of the team. And uh, that's one of the best things about working, uh, certainly on, on Greg's shoots, is that there's such a camaraderie. There's such a, you know, a sense of team and a sense of we're all going to do it. We're going we're gonna to make this movie. Robert, I think you're absolutely right. I, you know, I never, ever wanted to be the reason why anything was delayed. I never mm-hmm. wanted, you know, there was, always, there was always so much work to be done and people were working so hard. I never wanted it to be me, uh, the reason why something didn't happen. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, Trista, do you have a question? Sorry to take all the questions. Oh, no, not at all. I, um... Well, I, I do have a comment for Debbie. Um, Debbie, I'm a, I'm a fan of your work, and um, we're actually uh, scheduled to be shooting a film together. And um, I don't know if you know that, but it's called Killer Babes and the Friday yes. Film Fiasco. Yes, um, I do know this. Yes. And I wanted to show you that I'm not one of those terrible actors that you're talking about. The pressure's on. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure? I, I think so. Oh, I was on set in a, in a movie with her. She's very good. I, I, am, I have a story to tell about Debbie directing. I model hunger. And getting back to Michael here, Michael was yes. in like five of my movies and we worked on a ton of other things together and he made sure that I knew that Debbie was his favorite director. He told me that Aww. many times. But <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were shooting um, a scene with a couple of actresses on Model Hunger and they were inexperienced actors, actresses. We went through a lot of casting on that film to get the right uh-huh. ones. And I just remember one of them kind of casually making a suggestion to the other actress. And I have never seen anything like that. I've experienced it. Like the other day, I showed a script to a kid that I want to help me out on, on what I want to do sometime. And he told, I wanted him to check out some locations and stuff. And he, he said, you know, I, I have a dialogue suggestion. I just said, no, in capital letters, no. Um, <laughs> but I remember Debbie turning to one of the actresses and saying, don't you ever tell another actor how to perform. Yes, <laughs> and, and you know <laughs> she didn't. Who's she didn't burst into me? tears. She took it to heart, and uh, but that is something that I had never thought about. And just that moment really, really did make me think. Yeah, right. Actors do not need other people coming right. at them with suggestions on on how to create their characters. Right. Well, you know, you collaborate with the director or, or possibly the writer or the writer director, if it's the same person, but never another actor. And it's all, I swear to God, it's always the ones that to me, I'm thinking if anybody's ever said anything to me, it's not that people can't, you know, collaborate, but it's always somebody who I'm thinking, Oh my God, you should so be worried about yourself. <laughs> like, you have no idea. Like, you know, every time though, it's so weird. It's so weird. Have you guys experienced that? Or? Yes. 
Yes. Many times. Yeah, right? I mean, every time. Well, every I'm a time. screenwriter. And <laughs> as Greg just pointed out, nobody ever reads a script without giving you notes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's the same idea, right? Yeah. It's disrespectful. And Debbie knows because she's a total veteran as an actor. So she knows better. You know, we know as you grow, you know, and you learn that like what is etiquette mm -hmm. and what is professional. And that's, I agree with you, Debbie. It's usually like the less professional actors who think that they can say and do whatever they want. And I have to say real quickly, Debbie, you must see Trista's a very old film. And I'm a fan of hers from the human race. So good. So good. Thank you. That's so nice. That means a lot coming from you. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, I definitely will. I've been, speaking of writing, that's what I've been doing. But yes, I, I very much want to. Mm -hmm. uh, Craig Robert. Lindberg, who worked on uh, Slime City Massacre, he, uh, he wants to know, uh, what was everyone's favorite death in Slime City Massacre? This is one of Craig's works. This uh -huh. is uh, a model of the... Uh, Stomach mouth that Debbie wore mouth. on Slime City Massacre. Mm -hmm. I am mouth. holding it up right the right way. It's a mouth, Neil. It's a mouth. <laughs> right, right, right. Up yeah. here. Yeah. The mouth. Uh, on my yeah, second film. Texting with my uh, third Trist earlier, film, nice. That's what I called it. Yeah. Craig did uh, a lot of the uh, the gags for Slime City Massacre in New York City and sent them to Buffalo, and then the team here uh, applied them. And he did the makeup on Johnny Gruesome. So he is, uh, I've been friends with him almost as long as I've been friends with Robert and Mary. Because he goes back to Undying Love. What was his question? What does he want to know? Oh, he wants to know uh, <laughs> your favorite death in Slime City Massacre. Oh. I do uh, well, like I that in, the, in say, both movies. There's a lot of head bashing. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, it's there's right two. I, lo and I love the one where John Renna uh, steps on Jennifer Beale and her stomach opens up and eats his foot. Because, yeah. we, you know, we did that in Slime City, the original Slime City, when the mugger stabs him. But we got to do a more uh, elaborate puppet for Slime City Massacre. So I really liked that. But my favorite gag in that film is um, when Eric Mache, who did the painting for Slime City, and he's my daughter's godfather and he lives near Mary, when he gets the bottles in his eyes. <laughs> that is a pretty screaming awesome scene. Screaming and screaming. Yeah. I, you know, when you watch these films with an audience, you know what they're going to react to. And they react to that. Uh -huh. And you're like, oh, good, they liked it. But you, then you know that he's going to tip his head and the blood's going to come out of the bottles. And that, that's really the part that I like. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Debbie, do you have any uh, stories about uh, Craig applying the mouth uh, onto your stomach? He wasn't He wasn't created the things in New York and Santa Buffalo. Right. So we had four guys, Rod Durek, who put Debbie up. Uh, from Out yes. of Hunger. Uh, yep. Andrew Lavin, who did a lot of the sculptures. Eric Zemecki. Uh, Eric and, and Rod are two of my favorite people in the world. And uh, yep. my friend RJ7, who's in New Orleans, who came out and lived with us and became part of the insane effects crew that we had. I mean, they're... It was like the tent and mash, the swamp, where these guys were and worked all day yeah. long. Uh, he did a lot of the sculpting. So those were the four main guys. And then Craig sculpted some stuff out in Long Island and, and sent them to us. Right. It wasn't Rod, the one that painted me? I don't remember. I mean, those I, guys really were working sure 20 hours a day. It was insane that they would insane. work on set all day and then go home 
to their lab yeah. and sculpt and cast and do stuff all day. And they were doing, yeah. you know, energy drinks. And one day, Eric, I wasn't there when it happened. He collapsed on set, had a seizure, and blood was coming out of his nose. And uh, he got up like it was nothing and went back to work. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was scary. That was really scary because he was so thin and he was just drinking the energy drinks. It was amazing. I mean, thank God he was all right. But Rod, okay? Rod, in the back of a van, (laughs) I had to be, that was for the, he had to paint me naked with the orange. Mm -hmm. And it was in the back of a van. And it was Believe it or not, like he was saying, it was cold in the middle of summer. It's the Slime City way, I guess. <laughs> and they were applying this thing, and I was just laying back in this very uncomfortable position. But that was the least of my worries, because here are these guys painting me orange in the back of a van <laughs> in Buffalo on the street. And it was, it was pretty, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Right. <laughs> If anyone tuning in, that was for the movie. It wasn't just like a Saturday for Debbie. Debbie, we did did have Rod's sister on helping him that day as well, though. I made sure that we had a a woman as part of that that crew. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. That's right. (laughs) I don't remember. Maybe. 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 Yeah. No, he was good. No, he was good. You know what I loved about it? He was so concerned with getting it done with a certain amount of time. He couldn't care less if I, you know, was naked, fully clothed. He was just like going crazy. He was going crazy. He was getting it done, getting it done. Last lot- thing that it was was, you know, anything weird. It was, it was great. For a lot of the, it wasn't anything the- weird. He was just painting <laughs> in the back of the van. Wasn't exactly. Nothing weird about it. For most of the crew, that, that, that that nothing weird about it. For most of the crew on Slime Buffalo, City Massacre. That was their first feature. Like they'd worked on a couple of backyard productions, but I mean, really, everyone pulled together on that film. It was a great team. Yes. Uh, John Wood wants to know: Would Debbie and everyone here would they return for part three as different characters? Absolutely. As different characters, well, yeah. absolutely would would return, but that yeah, I mean, are we doing the political one? That would be one aspect of it, yeah. You would be a mad scientist, and Brooke would be a military yeah. figure. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's figured out enough that I know that much. Yeah. Look, and, it would find, and there are parts for Keelan and Lee, and it would not be worth doing if we didn't get everyone back again. And by the time yeah. I'm willing to do it, we'll all be old enough that everyone can believably play other characters. <laughs> right. Neil, uh, follow up with the guy and make sure money. Mary's the only one that this doesn't apply to. What? What? I'm coming back. Aging. <laughs> Aging. No, oh, you the damn same. She loves 1987. <laughs> but I'm to in a hotel. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not Mary, I think she lives in like one of those like uh, Michael Jackson oxygen yeah. tents or something. <laughs> Right? Yes. I mean, I it's crazy. It's very dark. Very dark. No. With very Michael dark. Jackson. It's very dark. <laughs> in the back of a van. In, in I've been begging Greg. I'm like a psycho stalker on Twitter. Like, they're my friends. And, like, I'll get on Twitter, what, Greg? Like, once every three months and beg you publicly with, with me, you, and Debbie on the feed. When are we doing a sequel? When are we doing a sequel? Don't I, though? 
Well, look, here's, here's the truth. <laughs> we made a movie called Slime City for $50,000, and it never made a profit. And even though it, because of bad distribution, I mean, uh, right. dishonest distribution. And yeah. uh, despite that, we came together and we made a sequel 22 years later for $50,000. And that one didn't make a profit. <laughs> so it's very hard to go to investors and say, hey, and say, hey. the world is clamoring <laughs> this for time. part three, yeah. and this one is going to make money. So it's hard enough looking for money, but looking for money for yeah. an item that has already got two strikes against it is next to impossible. If Why there's a wealthy with the Slime rock. City fan out there who is dying to see Slime City Apocalypse and is willing to write a yeah. check for 200000 without me spending six, of my month, six months of my life begging for that money, I'm all up for it. Well, now, why isn't um, the double feature making money? Um, because the DVD Blu-ray business stinks. I mean, we've gotten checks, but not anything near enough to break us even. Right. Why aren't we out in the drive-ins with a double feature during the pandemic Woo! with Slime City and Slime City Massacre? Yes. Well, these are all distributor questions. Yes. All distributor questions. I think what we need is a telethon. I think we need to do like a Slime City, Slime City Massacre telethon and actually like decapitate somebody on the telethon, like put, <laughs> put, put applications on, on, on kids and, uh, you know, have, have people like with uh, Coke bottles coming out of their <laughs> eyes, you know, blood gushing out of their eyes, right there on TV, yeah. do like a Zoom version of that, attach it to PayPal, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can do. We got to make an event. Go will you sing and dance, Robert? Or will I you sing and Mary will play. dance? If you want to make money, I won't dance. <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> I mean, Debbie, you made Model Hunger for around the same budget, and you know the realities of money coming in from distributors. It's it's rough. Well, very difficult. I mean, I I do and I don't because it's not financially my movie, but the problem uh, with Model Hungers, it was just, you know, whatever my cut, whatever I wanted my cut to be. It wasn't like, um, and that's that's why it does not stream anywhere. To be, actually. To be. So I can't say nowhere, but nowhere that charges money. <laughs> because, it, you know, and, and forget about, like, if it's a rough movie or if it's a, it's a smooth movie. Forget that. It's the, the content is too crazy, like just from the get go. And then, you know, you can go from there. But content is, is too, uh, right. too crazy. Has streaming, has streaming destroyed this type of filmmaking? Well, I, the Internet I, I has certainly destroyed any possibility yeah. of independent filmmakers making money. money. I have made one movie that turned mm -hmm. a profit. And that was the movie I produced for Sam Qualiana, Snow Shark, Ancient Snow Beast. And the only reason it turned a profit was that we made that movie for six grand. 
Wow. These distributors do not pay money up front unless you have big names oh. and real production values. And even then, they don't. Yeah. They usually don't get what they're worth. They, it's all back-end mm -hmm. deal, and the back-end is shit. It's absolute shit. Right. I'm not going to say who it is. And that's, one person involved with Slime yeah. City um, has an agent, gets a new agent every 10 years or so, and I hear from that agent, why hasn't this person seen money from Slime City? Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> this, you know, it's been released on V. You released 100 copies on VHS last year. Where's... Where's the profit? And I'm like, do you know how hard I've had to work just to keep these films available so that people can see yeah. them so they're not gone and forgotten? There's no money yeah. coming in. We never broke even. This right. thing's not going to make a profit in my lifetime. And he's asking me to turn over 30 years worth of records. I'm like, what? So I have to sit here and write a book basically explaining what our different deals were, why this one went south, this guy, this distributor's in prison, blah, 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 blah you know? And uh, they just don't turn a profit at this level. And that's why, that's why so many filmmakers who have had a few uh, cult films that fans love have spent 10, 15, 20 years making lifetime Christmas movies because those movies pay, they get released, doesn't matter if the filmmakers don't give a shit about them. They move on to the next job. They make a good living. And once in a while, they can do something they really care about. It becomes a job. Never, I've never really had right. that opportunity to sell out and have just a job. I can only make these things that I care about. I mean, you've just right. summed up like 80% of my friends. I mean, that's how they get by. That's how they do it. Yeah. One of the films we're well, showing it. At Buffalo Dreams is a documentary called uh, Clapboard Jungle. Yeah, we just uh, we just had the yeah uh, we love that doc. Yeah, and we just had the uh, Justin McConnell, on. and uh, one of the many people that he interviews, going to the film markets and film festivals and talking to distributors, just comes out and says, you know, if you're getting into this business because you think it's easy money, you're in the wrong business. And he's right. Go go sell swimming pools, and you'll make more money than you do as an independent filmmaker. Well, you know what? Let me jump in and just say, but it's always been that way because in the, you know, with the, the Sam Arkoff's ticket, putting their, their, you know, uh, film reels under their arms and having to take it from theater to theater to theater to make a profit. And they did actually, they did then. And then everything turning to uh, cable and then everything turning while well, the driving, of course, but the DVD always chasing what is making money or hopefully making money. It's always been the way. Like they used to laugh at $100,000 films. That used to be the, the, you know, horribly low budget movie, right? 70s, 80s, mm -hmm. 90s maybe. But now to turn a profit in, with streaming for pennies. I mean, what do you have to make a movie like Greg said? for $5,000, $6,000, otherwise, are you ready to eat that money? You know, who's ready to eat that money? Um, I don't know. You have to do it for art because that's the brutal truth, I mean, and that's, you know. The classic example of Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, those films went on to make a lot of money, but the filmmakers never saw it. Yeah. They got screwed by the distributors. The distributors made all that money. 
the mafia was involved with the release of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They got all that money. Fred Olin Ray um, did did a movie that was released by the same distributor as Slime City, the, the guys who went to prison. Uh, the guys were involved with porn, and there was a murder. They just disappeared for 10 years. I didn't know what happened to it. They were just gone. Uh, but they're the guys in prison. And I remember Fred saying to me that when video started, the porn distributors who got into distributing regular movies, at first, they were the only honest brokers. They were the only one not screwing, ones not screwing the filmmakers. But eventually, they learned to rip off the filmmakers, too. Right. All that being said, you told me, you know, off air that Slime City Massacre is your favorite movie. So, you know, it's my favorite making money and everything. What makes it your your favorite movie? Is it your favorite movie because you think it's the best movie or is it because of uh, your experience of making the movie? Uh, Well, first of all, there's no separating. There's no no separating the two. When I watch these movies, they're home movies. And I remember the amazing summer I had making Slime City, and I remember the amazing summer I had making Slime City Massacre. Those are the two greatest experiences I've had making a movie. And I have worked on ones with much bigger budgets at this point. The last two had $250,000 budgets. Um, Different Mm -hmm. set of headaches. You know, there's always headaches. They're just different ones. Uh, Slime City Massacre of all my films is the one that is the closest to what I wanted it to be when I wrote the script. All these things change once you get on set, but that's, that's the one that's closest to what I envisioned. And I actually think, and it's interesting because slime city fans are split. Some slime city fans hate slime city massacre. Some like them equally. A few like slime city massacre more. Um, But I think that slime city massacre is an incredibly original film. I don't think there's any film like it. And it's a sequel. It's got concepts from the first film, but it's its own animal. And I don't think there's anything like it out there. I've actually said that uh, Slime City Massacre is the Godfather 2 of horror films. It's because it, it does wow. the exact same thing. It goes to the prequel and the sequel. And, uh, you know, you have to see Slime City to fill in the blank. It's funny when we did it, I remember I would share clips really with different cast members. It absolutely is. Structurally, yeah. Slime City Massacre is. Oh, you are correct. Uh, and in Slime City Apocalypse, when Zachary and Ruby come back saw, from the Himalayas, yeah. there is actually a scene of them hoisting up the sign for Zachary Devin's soup kitchen, just like Jen Koala. <laughs> <laughs> just don't, hey, just don't then take Copeland it. into Slime City Apocalypse. Just keep her away. <laughs> hey, Greg, you have to then put, like, maybe in part four or the end of part three, it, like, it, you know, the uh, Planet of the Apes with the uh, Statue of Liberty head. You have to have, like, um, the well, slime head, Robert Craig's head, slime head. <laughs> Sorry. Debbie, you <laughs> and, know, uh, I, I've already mined. I've already mined what? Planet of the Apes for Slime City. Slime City Massacre, the doll that you and Lee and Jennifer and Keelan have, that's the doll yes. from Planet of the Apes. Oh, from the and we, zone, we lifted yeah. the audio of it saying Mama from Planet of the Apes. Oh, <laughs> we can't use his head in the end of part no. three. Sort of, sort of repeating my own obscure joke. Dirty slime people or something. Time to slime. Time to slime. (laughs) Be awesome. Uh, 
for, for Mary and Craig, how do you compare the two movies since you're in both of them? Uh, well, it's funny because given that Slime City Massacre was made uh, for the same amount of money, it's stunning to me. It's cinematic, um, uh, you know, ambition. And uh, I have to say, um, I think that Slime City Massacre is the better movie because there's less me in it. Uh, just everyone else, everyone else bringing their uh, their talents to bear, and all the different stories that are that are allowed to thread through it. It takes it. It's just such a such a wonderfully exquisite little you know narrative ballet. I I'm just a huge fan of that movie, and all the performances in it are are just remarkable, remarkably committed in a way that you know we just we weren't ready for in Slime City. We, we did our best, you know, but when, you know, even like even me and Mary coming back for Slime City Massacre, we came back loaded for bear. It was, uh, it was a whole different experience. There was none of that trepidation, none of that, oh, am I doing this right? Sort of anxiety, uh, just a lot more confidence, a lot more fun. Uh, I will always love Slime City. It's it's just a it's just a great movie. It's a it's a, uh, you know just such a it's such a work of integrity. Uh, but Slime City Massacre mm -hmm. is it, it it's an explosion. It's it, it's just a different uh, a different film and and really wonderful for what it is. I you know I just loved it. I thought it was great. I, I agree. I love it. I'm gonna cut, cut in, Mary. Let me just say this. Yeah, I love Slime City because why? It's a slice of a time that you can't recreate, and it is so good. It's original. It's not 87, right? 1987 yeah. released in 88, yeah. I guess. You can't recreate those New York locations yeah. and that feeling and that authenticity and that pureness you can't recreate recreate it anyway sorry mary no i i agree that. i agree debbie when i watched it last week again i you know when we were doing it you don't ever think you're doing a period piece but when i watched it the other <laughs> night i'm like wow it really is evocative of of the 80s it, you know it, it, it it's just every piece of wardrobe uh we were all so young and 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 trying i think so hard with slime city massacre so you know that is just um i think a piece of our hearts and then for slime city massacre to come back it was like um i don't know almost like coming home i know for me uh, coming up to buffalo my mother had just died three weeks before so to come and to like just kind of get out of my head, get out of my own way. And I, I, it was just so much fun to do Slime City Massacre. So for me, it kind of just uh, just took me out of my life and, and away from everything that I was thinking and, you know, just threw me into something that um, I'm just really proud of. You know, the production values look so good. That set is amazing. That, that building, all of the acting talent is in it. It it really um, it really holds up, and it was really fun to watch again. Yeah, kind of what Debbie just said there. I mentioned on the show a lot. I always like those like that era of New York movies that are really gritty, yeah. and you know, like the Basket Case and uh, Maniac, and just uh, uh, any kind of movie from that era from New York, big or small, yeah, like Taxi Driver. Yeah. They have like uh, absolutely, absolutely. 
Love the it. Time capsule movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what was your background? And that's your first movie, Slime uh, City, Greg. Like, did you go to film school, or like, what, you know, how did it come about that you make a film? I went to film school for one year, and as it turns out, I should have gone for two. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> um, and then I worked on. Uh, I was a teenage zombie. I had already written Slime City. I volunteered to be production manager, and I was a teenage zombie. And you I do a job on that one. I was a teenage zombie was supposed to be a dry run so that Robert and uh, Peter Clark, who is the cameraman and co-producer on Slime City died back in 2000. So that the three of us could learn how to make movies. So we basically spent all of, I was a teenage zombie saying, well, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. And we didn't do any of those things. We didn't make any of those mistakes, but we made all our own new mistakes. We made our own mistakes. Greg, if you went to year two of uh, film school, you would have had that class on distribution. <laughs> I would have known a little more about sound recording. Um, like I cannot watch Slime City without saying camera should have been at the other spot here. Camera should have been at the other spot. I mean, I just see everything that just somebody who watched as much TV as I do should have known. This is a jump cut. That's a jump cut. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Greg said when he watches a movie, it's like a home uh, movie. So, like, uh, uh, Brooke, when you watch your own movie, do you see it as a movie or do you see it as, you know, the experience of making the movie? That's a great question. Um, both, I think. I think when I first watch a movie like Slime City Massacre, I watch it from the behind-the-scenes perspective, you know, and see what goes on. And, in fact, again, for all the filmmakers who are watching this, and the indie filmmakers especially, Think about what Greg just said when he discussed the budget, you know, and think about Slime City Massacre and the amount of talent and characters and cast and and crew involved and the, you know, art direction that's incredible, the color schemes and the practical effects and CGI. It's pretty extraordinary. So when I think of it from that perspective, I'm like, this is amazing. You know, of course, I'm an insecure actor, actress who always from the acting perspective, you know, watches it and critiques myself and I could have, should have, would have done everything differently. And that's just how I am and who I am and how I'm built. So, but I really love to look at cinema from the behind the scenes. I, I don't fancy myself a filmmaker, but I am certainly a producer after many years. And I look, I can pick out the, the every nuance now and, and the technicals. And so I do watch films from that perspective now. Uh, Trista, did you have a question? No, I, I don't know. I was so into what you were saying that I uh, forgot about my questions. But um, I'd like to piggyback on, on uh, I guess, what you're saying. Because I'm the whole time you were talking, I was like, how do I watch movies? <laughs> like, I'm trying to see if I can relate to you. And I think when I watch, like, when I was watching Slime Cities, I, I really just watched them as films like the way Greg you're saying um you can tell stuff like as an audience I couldn't not at any point did anything like that occur to me the only thing that was happening the the only thing I was like are they both married like maybe that was the one thing (laughs) I was like oh like halfway through the movie by the way I was like oh (laughs) I've been watching the same actress um but besides that uh I guess I want to talk about the end of Slime City 
Mary, and how fun was that? Or, or were you just exhausted because you were working so hard? Because as an actress, I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. Like, this looks so <laughs> fun. I, wanna, I know he talked a little about how the floor was manufactured and um, how yeah, the, the big battle was scene, though, yeah. You big fights. But I'd love to hear it uh, from you as an actor, how that went. Uh, it, well, it was it was technical. I remember it being very technical. And I also remember, I mean, Greg's not kidding. I would be sleeping in a corner and they would wake up and put the meat cleaver in my hand because <laughs> time was short and we had to get through it. Um, as a matter of fact, when we were watching it the other night, my husband said, oh, you just woke up there, didn't you? I was like, you can't tell that. That's my, That was acting there. <laughs> um, but, um, but it, but it's, um, you know, you love to do stuff like that as an actress. You know, that's, that's, you know, how often do you get to walk around in real life with a cleaver saying, die, God damn it, you know? <laughs> I think it all the time. Die, 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 die. More often, I wish, frankly. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> well, Mary, you got to do it twice. Two times is how many times yes, you get to do it. Exactly. Exactly. I'm very, very lucky. Very fortunate. Yeah. But the whole thing about that that last scene, how long did that take to uh, shoot, Greg? How long did we give her? Five her? days. Five days. Five like twenty-hour days. Nonstop. And like towards the fourth day, we were all too comatose to have any experience of it at all, except we're doing it. And that's the that's the great thing about uh, you know Greg's preparation for all of that was he he knew what he wanted to shoot. What he wanted to shoot. And he knew how he was going to uh, do it, um, so we we were just totally in his hands. He he would like he would like what Mary said, put the meat cleaver in the hands. We do what he says. We go back to sleep, and there wasn't as much uh, you know preparation on our part. It was just do what Greg said. But it was it was also kind of like, I love that. Wait wait, do what Greg says. Then go back to sleep. Do what Greg says. Then it's almost go like back he's been hypnotized sleep. or something. <laughs> yeah. Like there I were three heroes on that set, though, who kept things going. One was Peter Clark, uh, who had never shot a film before. He had only worked on I Was a Teenage Zombie. And he was solely responsible for that camera. You remember we, we played Frisbee in the park one day, and he got those big yellow boils on his back? the size of quarters and they were full of yellow pus. He really became a slime guy. And Mary, when you shot that, you shot that uh, dance in Nicole's apartment, that apartment was over well over a hundred degrees and he had to lug that big film camera and, uh, Whatever professionalism there is technically on that film is because of him. And then the other two were, were Scott and Tom, the effects guys, who at least worked on trauma films and understand how sets should work and were able to guide us when they were on set. You know, they weren't on set every day. Uh, guide us on, on how things should be done. Those three really uh, are the unsung heroes, I think, of the movie. I give, I give uh, uh, Scott credit for introducing me to Tom Waits. Oh, wow. Well, that was your pleasure when you got to be in the cool basement being made up and exactly. listening to music. And, when and then you had to come back to our place and shoot the movie with no air conditioning. <laughs> when they were when they were putting the mask on, when they were like taking the mold for the mask originally, they were playing a lot of Tom Waits, a lot of swordfish trombones, and I would just listen to it and zone out with the with the straws out my nostrils. <laughs>
If it was bad music, that would have been a much worse experience. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm very glad it wasn't. <laughs> Although with Tom Waits, the jury's out. Uh, how did Lloyd Kaufman's uh, disappearance uh, happen in the film? Uh, Debbie actually pulled that together. Uh, she told we were shooting. Uh, she decided the film was something Lloyd would want to be part of. She thought she, we had a really good vibe on that set. We all felt like we were doing something special. And so mm -hmm. she put in a call to him. He was willing to come out on his own dime. So I originally mm -hmm. just had a shot of the mushroom cloud. And then I had to think, how do I bring Lloyd Kaufman into this movie doing that goofy shtick of his in a way that won't detract from what I think is a, a satirical sci-fi movie. So I, I had him do that Buster Keaton bit in the beginning. And he came out for a day, same thing. Yeah. And while I was while I was supposed to be directing him, he shot two different segments for that make your own damn movie oh, franchise right. <laughs> he does. So he was directing me when I wasn't directing him. He would ask me questions and I would answer them like while I'm driving him to set and he would tell me how to how to redo my answers. <laughs> hey, Greg, wasn't his stuff on um the green screen? shot in Buffalo, obviously. Yeah. And then that was part of the funding or the tax break or something. Well, when he came out, Is that right? Yeah. But we didn't realize that his wife, Pat Kaufman was the film commissioner at that time. I didn't understand anything about film commissions and how that worked. We filed the paperwork. We had to film at the start of the film. And then we didn't worry about that commission again, the, the tax credit until we were done. And uh, we did, he did shoot a bit, an interview where he talked about his wife and, and how the tax credit works. And we were one of the, the least expensive films to ever take advantage of that. Oh, okay. Robert disappeared and now you've moved up to another square. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like Hollywood squares here, you know. You get, <laughs> get he square he here. got <laughs> the wrong answer, so he's out. He'll be back though. It's kind of a weird question. Got a weird question, Greg, but I was watching a, a video with you, and it was from Slime City Massacre signing, and you told the story about uh, going to Harlan Ellison to sign a book, and you said, like, could you get him, would you sign Good Luck with um, Slime City? And he just looked up, he went, nah. But I was just wondering, like, no, 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 that's not how he did how yeah. he said it. I waited online uh -huh. at Forbidden Planet and said, would you say this? And he just said, no. Like that. He was such a prick. He was absolutely the prick that you want Harlan Ellison to be. And I had a second run in with him at a whole different convention. I was in New York City at a book publisher's convention and I was there with my first novel and I was really excited. And this guy that produced the movie I didn't do, he had started this really nasty horror magazine that had like fetishism and stuff and he did a whole series of films. And uh, I put the first issue out of his magazine on the table. I said, okay, I'll give out some, some free ones for you. Sure. So he in walks Harlan Ellison wearing his, uh, he had a specific hat that with his colorful jacket made him look like a grandma. It really did. He looked like a Jewish grandma. And he strolls over and I'm like, Oh, here comes Harlan Ellison walking right up to my table. Looks at my novel, turns to this magazine, picks it up. He goes, lovely. Throws it down and turns around and walks away. <laughs> oh, I thought he said classy. Classy, lovely, something with it that ended with a Y. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that same weekend, 
uh, six people got trapped on an elevator with him for six hours. I'm just glad I wasn't one of them. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, my question amongst that, like, is, one of my I, heroes, by the way. Yeah. Does that like stick with, cause I've seen you with like Zeb Godin and you're like, he's a guy who looks up to your movies and you, you know, you uh, take him under your wing. Does that something that sticks with you? And when like people who watch your movies, you know, young directors, uh, come to you for your advice. You, you seem like a guy that or, you know. You're you're not going to just look up to him and say nah or nope and not talk to him. Yeah, I can't imagine behaving the way Harlan Ellison behaves. He behaved, you know, he's passed away since then. I miss him. Wish he was still around. Yeah, it's too bad Troy's but done here. So one of one of Troy's favorite. Uh, uh, yeah, that's one of Troy's favorite. To be celebrated people. by a fandom and spit on it was basically his uh, deal. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, John Wood says he knows uh, Debbie's writing her book and he wants to know if everyone else is doing something uh, creative during this time. We'll start with Brooke. Are you doing something creative at this time? Um, I feel like I'm always attempting to do something creative. So yes. So actually I was very fortunate um, in the fall to suddenly be offered a bunch of jobs. Of course, that always includes somehow producing to some degree. So I was producing several projects. Uh, so then when the pandemic hit, fortunately, I was able to work virtually, like I have been like 15 hours a day in post-production on several projects. So um, one of them being one that was in the horror genre that we, I know, I know you guys have heard a little bit about this already. I won't take up too much time, but that we finished filming, Joshua Butler did a, we did a proof of concept in the fall, and I was like, you know, let's forge ahead, let's film the rest virtually at the very beginning of the pandemic. So I felt like a bit of a visionary back then. And so we are in post-production working diligently on that. And shout out to, I know everybody knows Stacey Lane Wilson. We had shot, I got to act and was one of many executive producers on her The Second Age of Aquarius. And that was in the fall. We shot that in November. So that being said, that's um, very sci-fi music, comedy, and we're in post-production on that right now. So I feel like I'm blessed to be creative. And now that I know that Greg wants to do Slime City Apocalypse, well, I'm <laughs> bugging the shit out of him every day until we do. He's got to finish writing it, remember, for it to come true. I'm going to be cheering him on. 60 pages in. Someone has to say, I have $200,000 waiting. Uh, <laughs> I that script in the uh, night. Is there I wrote someone the 60 that... pages in the night, so I could write the rest in the night. Well, maybe someone here in the chat. Uh, Come on, somebody in the Wayne chat. Mendes, Come on. If you got yeah. the money, you can send it. Tony, yeah. Uh, We're good for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. How about yourself, Craig? You Sorry, I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer, so I'm constantly uh, writing. Um, and uh, right now, there's a, um, a screenplay that I wrote about a family that comes together over a Christmas dinner. It's kind of hallmarky, but a little darker. And it looks like somebody wants to make it and shoot it in Scotland. And I don't know how they're going to do it because it's quarantine. Uh, but we'll we'll see if that happens. You know, well, that's probably why they want to do it in Scotland. Yeah, Scotland. Nobody Scotland. wants to shoot in the U.S. now. <laughs> Things right. are being shot overseas. Yeah. That's what's happening. Yeah. Well, they won't let you in, though. Hopefully, no, they don't want me in. Yeah. Hopefully, they won't shoot it at the Trump, uh, at the Trump uh, golf you know, course. Golf course there. You know, hopefully, we'll be able to avoid that little slice of Americana. But, um, you know, 
keep your fingers crossed. We'll see if it goes. Hardly anything does, uh, you know, but it's a, it's a fun script. How about yourself, Mary? Me? Yeah. Um, well, I'm not doing any acting work. Um, I became a physical therapist a couple of years oh. ago, but I did join a um, a women's drum group. So I am. Uh, I've been doing that for two years. That's pretty awesome. So, uh, so drumming. I've been very creative, uh, creatively drumming. Uh-huh. I want a YouTube video. Yeah, they're all over my feed. They're all. I haven't they're seen all any over. of these. What's that? I see all the political posts. I've seen no drumming posts. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna make that happen then. Okay. I, I have posted quite a bit over the two years, the last two years yeah, of uh, the drumming. I'll share these into the without your head group for everyone. We gotta like make a list of all of Mary's various successful careers, including uh, actress, improvisational uh, actress, uh, stand-up comedian. And and on into like uh, starting a charter school. You started a charter school, right? Or yeah, yeah. And physical therapist, and now drummer. Holy shit! I'm a restless spirit. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? I get to I get to ride on Mary's success because imagine how excited I was to find out we were born the same day. Same day, and we both our birthday is November third, twenty twenty. Had any plans for that day this year? <laughs> There's only one thing I want. Everybody better vote. Oh, only oh. one plan. On our birthday, Mary. I know. To well, I hope you both have a very happy birthday. I hope you do too. I will be you so happy if you have a happy birthday. This has become be the most sobbing. important double birthday of my life. Yes. <laughs> All of our lives. All of our lives are at stake. We're all in agreement here. By the way, I did get a message, Debbie. Michael Thurber, the great actor Michael Thurber, says he loves you and me very much! Exclamation point. That note from Kaylin. Thank you, Michael. He's been waiting since the beginning of the show. I think he was hoping to be able to log on and see you, but. Oh. Well, you know, he's another one. You know, get him to do whatever character you want, and he just jumps in and another one. Yeah. Great actor. He is uh, Robert Michael Thurber is uh, the old lighthouse keeper in Widow's Point. Robert has a cameo in Widow's Point. He's the voice of Craig Sheffer's father, <laughs> who calls him. That's right, Sonny Boy. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite performance of yours, by the way. See, there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Where can people uh, get Widow's Point, by the way? Well, it will be available September 1st. They can walk into any Walmart and pick it off the shelf, or they can uh, get the VOD or order it from uh, Amazon, Walmart, Deep Discount, all those places. Very cool. And what was the date again? September 1st, although Amazon sent me a notice saying that my copy is not coming until September 8th. Go figure. (laughs) Well, hope you sign your your copy for yourself. Um, I I probably won't. I have some of my own DVDs that haven't even been uh, taken out of the wrapping. When I watched Dry Bones again after Michael passed away to, to watch that again, I had to crack it open out of the plastic. I don't often watch my films again because I have to watch them so many times during post-production. 
that it's, it's weird when I do go back. And I didn't, I know some of you watch Slime City and Slime Massacre again uh, in preparation for this. I didn't do that. And for one of the reasons is I have seen Slime City so many times with a live audience over the last 10 years, oh, a number of times with Robert and Mary, um, that watching it without a live audience, um, it's like MASH, the TV series is available and you have the option of, of getting rid of the laugh track. I like having the laugh track when I watch it. So I, I like seeing it with a live audience. I have to say, seeing yeah. Slime City with a live audience takes it to the next level. There is, you know, watching it on watching it on video in your living room is, is one thing and it's like, oh, oh, look at that. But then you see it in the audience and the laughter starts rolling and it's like, oh my God, this is great. Well, that's I would like love our... to see that with an audience. Uh, it's like I, the I first time we all saw it, Robert and Mary, in New York City at the Bleecker Street Cinemas. Yeah. We're ready for the screams, and we got a different kind of scream. Were you surprised by that, Greg, the, uh, the, the reaction the first time you saw it? Uh, you know, the, the obvious jokes that are in there were intentional, but a lot of the stuff wasn't. And, and of course, uh, Eva Lee, who says you crazy bastard, that's a whole story in itself. <laughs> just just trying to get a performance uh, out of her for that line was took hours. Um, I had I had to learn to love it as a comedy, and then it was made harder by the VHS release because they you know they they did a full frame instead of letterboxing it the way I wanted it to be. So it wasn't until the DVD came out that I could sit there and watch it and say, okay, this is you know this is fun for what it is, flaws and all. Mm-hmm. But it looked no. awful on VHS, and, and you know, uh, there's a whole sub culture of the fans that like the VHS, and it, it sells for a lot on eBay when somebody has it. But that is uh, absolutely the last way I would ever want anyone to see it. <laughs> right. Uh, well, uh, to, to answer the uh, answer the question, do you? Or I know you have. Uh, what are you doing right now uh, during this time? Well, what do you do? Because uh, he asked that what everyone was doing um, oh. artistically or, or creatively right now. Well, I've, I've got three screenplays that I'm just polishing and polishing and polishing because there's no chance of making any anything anytime soon uh, unless you want to jeopardize people, which I'm never going to do. Um, I do have Widow's Point coming out. I've got a film festival starting next week, which is it takes up an inordinate amount of time. And uh, mm-hmm. the distributor for Widow's Point has Clint Morris, who does press, um, you know, lining up tons of interviews for me and Sheffer. So this is like the third one I did today. The other day I did four. So it's, uh, that's kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of press at the moment. Uh, Babette uh, brings up here, uh, the group experience of a live audience is a dying thing. Uh, people uh, watch movies in the palm of their hands. You can just talk about like a watching on the phone. It's a heartbreak because uh, the modern audience doesn't know what they're losing. And I agree. There's no, like I watch a lot of stuff uh, for the sh- show, obviously on the computer or on my TV, but it, it's not the same experience as watching on the big screen with a group of people. Well, that's why we're doing Buffalo dreams with live screenings. And it wasn't easy. You know, most festivals, everyone waits to the last minute to decide how they're going. You know, they keep hoping that they're going to do a live festival. And then uh, like, uh, Sheffer won Best Actor at Crimson Screen for Widow's Point until a week before, two weeks before that. They thought they were going to be able to have their screenings. Things got worse in the Carolinas. They ended up just canceling it 
and giving out the awards, and that's fine. Some planned ahead and made the decision to go with the virtual screenings. Problem with the virtual screenings is that distributors don't want to give up those virtual sales, so it's it's not appealing to right. them. Other people are postponing. Um, in New York State, movie theaters still haven't opened. Our regular venue, we usually screen in a, a theater with 250 seats, and, and Neil knows it's fantastic. Debbie's been there as well. Uh, fantastic yeah. presentation. This year, be, because uh, that, that theater usually caters to an art house crowd, so they have no problem between art house films giving us a week. This year, there are no art house films in the pipeline, so they had to make contracts with the big studios. So the theater actually wasn't available to us. And I said, no problem. We'll go with this, this smaller venue that we've used before where we started. And then as it turns out, that venue's open, but the regular movie theaters aren't. So we're, we're holding screenings for limited audiences of like 25 people. Um, but there's no movie theaters open around us. Right. And it was just important to us to have, even if it's a tiny audience, to have those regulars and the filmmakers be able to watch their films on a big screen. To me, that's what the experience is. That's not a knock against any of the festivals that are doing the virtual screens. Like Fantasia, I mean, they have they have they sell out every show multiple times. They can't do in a little restaurant like venue what we can do. They have no choice if they want to run to do the virtual version. So I understand that. But it's just not what I want to do. Absolutely. There really is, and this is why people say, oh, yeah, no, after COVID, it's all going to be different. I can't imagine we're not going to go back to movie theaters, you know, filled with people having a communal experience. There's, there's just nothing like it. And you can't, you, you don't have the same experience watching by yourself. It's, you know, there's a huge portion of the experience of just uh, filched off. So we got to get back to that. We got to we got to figure out whatever this is, filtration, vaccination, and get back to audiences because that's where the good stuff happens. Yeah. Well, I think as soon as Debbie and Mary have a birthday, we'll be one step <laughs> closer to figuring all that out. Yeah, that's definitely the main thing I miss. I mean, I miss a lot of things, but uh, really going to the movies and the festivals is the main thing. Is the main thing that I miss uh, doing at the moment. That's yeah, the reason why we went to, to video. We used to just do audio show, but, you know, at yeah. least this is some type of interaction. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, but I, I went to see um, uh, The Invisible Man. It was, this was just before, like, uh, theaters started closing down. But I went to see it at one of these AMC, like, you sit in your own recliner chair with cup holders on either side. And, and I couldn't hear anyone else in the crowd. It was like, it was like noise-canceling whatever. And I was sitting right next to my wife and my daughter, and I couldn't hear either of them. And that was the weirdest experience. And I was like, you know, I, I, I'll pass on the recliner from here on out. And, you know, you think I am the recliner demographic, but <laughs> I really, I really wanted to be amongst people enjoying the movie together. It was a good movie, and I, you know, I, I felt like I was alone watching it. I sit in those recliners and I feel like everyone in the audience is farting because they're all shifting their weight on that level. They are. I think I'd prefer the talking to the simulated farting. 
the, the last movie I saw in a the theater was the original King Kong when they they uh, they re-released it, and it was right before uh, they closed the theater. So I wanted to I go to that Kong. so bad. Yeah, it was pretty uh, awesome. I had it planned. I knew where I was seeing it. I knew when I was seeing it, and things were just going to shit too fast, so I couldn't take the. You know, yeah, uh, we were on my daughter's immunocompromised. The, you know, yeah. the last movie I saw was we rented the venue that we're having the festival at for a birthday party for her and showed one of the uh, Jumanji films. And I'm glad we did it because so many of my friends from around here came and the next day we went into lockdown. Yeah. So it, it really was sort of like the last hurrah type of feeling. Mm-hmm. If it's, it's the last movie I see for a while in the theater, at least it was King Kong. You know. Yeah. It wasn't uh, the troll movie or something. I've seen it three times in a theater. <laughs> Oh really? Each time, time I've seen the theater. Each time projected on film though. Um, but I was my my wife and daughter understood I was gonna drag them to see it again. Neither one of them were excited about it, but but that was the plan. Yeah, it was a it was a great experience. Um so we're Miss Debbie here, but apparently she's writing a book, so that's exciting. So uh where where can uh everyone well first of all, you can't really get Slime City Massacre right now. You can get it on Blu ray. Oh, you can get the Blu ray, okay. The Slime City, Slime City Massacre, Blu-ray is available, and Slime City, Killer Rack, and Dry Bones are all out on DVD. Uh, they can all be purchased from uh, alternativecinema.com. Okay. Physical media should be the way for horror fans. Sorry. I, I, have stream, sta- stream, well, I have some behind me, but I have a big stack I see. upstairs. Yeah. How do I know those aren't empty and just for show? You can open them. <laughs> this one doesn't work. This is the very first VHS tape my mom ever bought me, Creep Show. And the, I wore the tape out. It doesn't work anymore. But I, but I kept the case because it's pretty sweet. The, Just so you know, Greg, the empty cases are more expensive than uh, the actual DVD anymore. So. <laughs> right. The uh, original uh, Slime City VHS. Oh, very nice. The original. Mm-hmm. There's the Japanese version. What a weird way to promote that film. <laughs> Just... Teak Clay Dickinson's bloody head. Do you have any control on that? Like what they put on the cover? No, no. Um, I, you know, I had a really bad experience with Johnny Gruesome. I hated that artwork that they forced on that so bad. And I think it sank the film. Um, for Widow's Point, the sales agent, Devil Works, I made it clear I had to have, I, I know you can't get final approval, but I had to have the right to offer my notes and say if I didn't think it was going to work, and I loved what they came up with. So, yeah, it's very hard. If if you know if you make a movie that makes ten million dollars, you can ask for anything. If you make fifty thousand dollar films that don't turn a profit, who's going to listen to you? Uh, which covers that for the widow's point, though, like the black and white one? The the illustration of the woman standing oh, in front okay. of the lighthouse yeah. with a white sky. Yeah, that's I like that too. All right, so uh, this has been awesome. I want to thank everyone for doing this. And thanks, Greg, for doing this on Without Your Head. I think it was a fun time. And it's a, it's a, Without Your Head is fitting for, for Slime yeah. City. There's a lot it of Without perfect. Your Head. I thought that the very first time you ever contacted me. Yeah. And I do want to say that in terms of the anniversary, Brooke was definitely the mover and shaker who kept saying, you have, we have to do something for this anniversary. We have to, we have to. And I was like, I'm in for whatever you can put together. And then the pandemic happened and a lot of the, the websites disappeared and stuff. And I thought of you guys right away, but uh, Brooke was definitely the one who kept the fire lit 
Let's make Thank this happen. Thank you, Craig. Well, and you did. You were like, in, I yes, so many. And shout out to all the media that did not sustain during the pandemic. But thank goodness that you suggested without your head right away. And we do, again, want to just rest in peace, Michael. We wanted to make it a tribute to him as well. Um, he was just such a wonderful, warm, just lovely, from my experience, took the greatest photos in Slime City Massacre of all of us, and such a warm, kind-hearted human being. And I know it's been tough on you, Greg, so everyone just say a prayer for Michael here, and happy anniversary. Slime flies, man, slime flies! <laughs> Has the slime finally been appeased? Not this year, it doesn't. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> That's why we about, need an apocalypse. About five years, yeah. <laughs> we need an apocalypse next. Or do we have one already? <laughs> yeah, and thanks, Brooke, too. She was promoting the, the show all over all social media. So, so. We all were. When we put this together and I had the information, I literally shared an e email with everyone and I went ended with, take it away, Brooke, because I knew I didn't have to worry <laughs> about it anymore. I am a cheerleader, if nothing else. <laughs> now I think about it, the original liner I have from Greg where he's like, he promotes the site. It was the first time I talked to him. He said, he talks about all the movies that are without heads. and uh, <laughs> So it's all coming around here. Yeah. Oh, on the liners in the VHS? Uh, no, no, for Without Your Head. You say, uh, you know, you're listening to Without Your Head, and I've done all these movies without a head. So uh, it's fitting. It's very funny. On top of things. Yeah, yeah. So uh, where can you follow everybody, by the way? I don't want to be followed. All right, fair enough. I just want people to watch my movies. There you go. Follow, follow the movies, yeah. I have a lot of things to say on social media. I don't care if anyone follows them and reads them. Fine with me if you don't. <laughs> Look for Widow's Point, please, September 1st. Very good. And, and your daughter, you got your daughter to post about uh, the movie on her social media. That's right. Which was a big... Uh... My daughter is taken to doing only political posts. I saw that one of them had like 1,500 likes. I said, you have to promote the movie. She said, I don't post about my personal life. Finally, she broke down and, and she posted something. <laughs> oh, so that's why you want to do a political part in the third one. Your daughter can promote the movie on, on her Instagram. I see how it works. Could be how you get the money. No. Uh, uh, Brooke, how, how, do you, how do you follow you? Just put in Brooke uh, Lewis Bellows, I think. Yes, Brooke Lewis Bells. I'm very active on Instagram right now. Um, at Brooke Lewis LA on Instagram, at Brooke Lewis LA on Twitter. And it used to be at Brooke Lewis LA, but now Brooke Lewis Bell is on my Facebook fan page, which got hacked Saturday night. So I'm saying it to tell all the viewers, do not click on any unidentifiable links. I don't care if they're from your friends, from your fans. Don't click on. I was hacked and shut down. So there's that. Yeah, that's a, like Trista said, losing all the photos. Because if you think about it, you know, uh, that's how we keep a lot of our photos now are on social media. Yes, be mindful. So hit me up on Instagram at Brooke Lewis LA. Thank you. Uh, Mary, <laughs> where can we see your drumming? Um, Instagram, Bitter Chicken. I'm trying to remember what the whole uh, <laughs> the whole address is. Uh, Bitter Chicken on on uh, at Bogle Bogle Five on Twitter. Uh, bitter chicken on uh, Instagram. I can, honestly can't remember the my name on on Instagram, but <laughs> bitter chicken. Put him bitter, bitter chicken. chicken. I like it. Me. All right. Well, I don't. I've I learned something like tonight. It. Actually, I have a slime city massacre picture. Um, oh really? On, uh, yeah, on on my Instagram. Very well, that's my uh, my home page there. Okay. 
And how uh, how can we follow you, Craig? Not to your home. No. But, you know, Why would anyone want to? I, I don't know. I haven't been on uh, social media for a while. Um, I was active when I was doing zombie radio show. Uh, and um, I burned out on that. And I've kind of uh, withdrawn from social media because most of my friends on Facebook are from Florida. And they crazy. So uh, I've just kind of backed away a little bit. And, um, you know, now I'm just... Uh, you know, keeping a relatively low social media profile. Um, but I will, I will reach out when, um, you know, when that changes, <laughs> if ever. You did post today to promote this show. Well, I, I noticed it. it and I was shocked. Shocked, I tell you. <laughs> that there's something going on at Facebook. <laughs> hey guys, Debbie got booted off. She, I just got it. We all got a message from her. She oh. I, w I was going to remember to say, of course, people can follow Debbie on both uh, Facebook and Twitter under her last name. Yes. I think Hello. she's the official Debbie Rashawn, right? The, at, I know Instagram at the official Debbie Rashawn. I think yeah, Twitter. have too. a little check mark, I think, so you know that it's, it's the real one. Yes. And uh, you can also follow Trista here, Trista Robinson, on, uh, on her social media. See what she's up to. I don't want to leave her out. All right. Well, this has been great. I want to thank everyone again and happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, great guys. Great seeing you thank all. You. Thank you. Slime Thanks must be a tease. Always. Thank great to see you guys again. And good luck. I see with Mary every couple of years. Yeah. Robert, we have to uh, connect again. We got to figure that out, man. And then we'll swing over to Brooks and go to uh, Dark Delicacies again. Yes. Hell yeah. Yes. Very good. All right. Good night, everybody. Thank you, Thanks, everyone, for Happy anniversary. Happy Let's all go watch the convention. <laughs> yes, good luck on uh, Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival. I finally remembered the name, and then I can't be there this year. Thank you. <laughs> we love you, Debbie. I'm messaging her. Yes. Bye. We love Debbie. Bye. Bye. Everybody stay safe and healthy. Yes. From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound and horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Ripley, we should have listening. Sit here on a lie. you tiny. Now we're gonna die. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming night. Mostly, they're coming night. Mostly, they're coming night. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. They're